Welcome to Make Possible Bite Size, a weekly podcast brought to you by Permutive, championing change in publishing, advertising and beyond. Each episode, we chat to an inspiring guest about their careers, their lives and how they're making change possible. Let's bite right in. Hello everyone, I'm Tash Thomas, Director of Diversity, Equality and Inclusion at the European Co-working Assembly, as well as co-founder of Breaking the Distance, an LGBTQ plus blog, promoting positive visibility. I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Make Possible Bite Size. For Women's History Month, members of DICE, the organization formed to put an end to manals, have teamed up with Permutive to shine a light on inspiring women. DICE's aim is to bring diversity and inclusion to conferences and events to ensure every perspective is heard and every story is told. For today's episode, I am so happy to welcome Amber Hikes, the current Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for the American Civil Liberties Union. Amber is an unapologetically queer Black woman, responsible for passing one of the nation's most trans-inclusive police policies. She has previously served as Executive Director of the Philadelphia Mayor's Office of LGBTQ Affairs. She has been recognized by Out Magazine as Community Organizer of the Year, as well as being responsible for adding the black and brown stripes to the rainbow flag, prompting a global conversation about race discrimination within the LGBTQ community. Hello, Amber. Hey, it is so good to be here. I am really thrilled to be in conversation with you. That's amazing. So thank you for joining me for this episode. Um, Could we start with telling our listeners and viewers a bit more about yourself and what the American Civil Liberties Union is all about? Sure. Um, So I'll start with myself. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm an advocate, an organizer. Um, I'm a person who is fueled by, um, inspired by, and steered by community in in all things. Uh, But if we get just to brass tacks, like you mentioned, I am the Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for for the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, And what that means is that I make sure that people feel like they belong at work, like we see them at work, like we value them and we care about them. And there's a lot of policy and strategy and sophistication behind how I do that. But at the end of the day, that's what I do. Um, And you know what, because I believe deeply that we should be to bring our full selves to work. I, I can actually share a little bit more um, about me. I, I was born in Japan, uh, but I am a child of the American South. I was raised by a black mom uh, in, in Georgia that celebrated our, our blackness every single day and helped kind of light my path with our ancestors and brought our history and our heroes into our home. Uh, and so I kind of grew up understanding how important and how sacred my own my own blackness was. And so as a young adult, I was raised by black and brown trans queer women and, and, um, and queer women of color in particular who wrapped me in community and taught me about powerful queer history. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful to, to be where I am now, which is working at the ACLU. Um, the final thing I'll say about the ACLU is that I know a lot of folks who, um, who, who know about the ACLU, sometimes they hear uh, American Civil Liberties Union and they think free speech. Uh, and that's, that is, that's true, that's what we work for in the United States, but we also, we, we do a lot more work other than that. Um, and so some folks may be surprised when they hear about some of the civil rights that have been fortified and protected uh, in America by the ACLU, but rights like integrated schools, uh, reproductive rights, uh, integrated neighborhoods, the right to protest, the right to have a jury that looks like you, the right to not have your mail searched, um, the right to teach evolution in public schools, and just as recently as summer 2020, the right to keep your job, no matter what your sexual orientation or gender identity are. Like all those cases where, where the ACLU 
Um, and of course, since it's Women's History Month, I can't talk about the ACLU without uplifting uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who started the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU. So may her memory, of course, be a blessing and a revolution. Uh, so I'm very proud to work at the ACLU, very, very proud to, to, do, to do my work. And that's a little bit about who I am and what I do. What an incredible upbringing. Um, and all the work that the ACLU do is just, wow, it's groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that and bringing some context as well. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to kick off with our first make possible question. Uh, if there's one thing that 2020 and the start of 2021 have taught us about, it's resilience. Mm. <laughs> so our first question is, what are the challenges that you are most proud to have overcome in your career? Mm. This is such a, it's such a great question. It's a complicated one. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, I'll, I'll explain why, uh, but I really appreciate this lens around resilience over the last year. Um, when I think about my career, in, in my career, I have so often been the first, right? Like the first mm. social worker in my role or the youngest person to hold a position or the first black queer person to be hired. And these firsts come with a lot of opportunities, but they also come with challenges. Um, and because when you're the first at anything, you're going to face biases. You're going to have odds that are stacked against you. And I know a, a lot of women can, can relate to this. Um, and in some ways, you're going to be without role models. And so I used to joke that in so many of the roles where I was the first, it felt like I was trying to retrace a road trip using someone else's gas station or petrol uh, receipts. <laughs> but, but truly, the, the biggest challenge that you're facing when you're the first is this overwhelming added pressure to not be the last, right? So I, I you know, have thought often over my career, if I don't succeed here, will they never hire a social worker again? Or will they rethink the next black woman who applies? And that kind of overwhelm can be really crushing. And at the same time, we can't be crushed by it, right? We have to be able to live up to that and to continue to pave and light paths for the next person who comes in. And so I'm really proud of that. Um, yeah, so if, if, and if there's something else that I'm, that I'm proud of in terms of resilience in my career, it's obviously the black and brown stripes on the rainbow flag and the really important conversation that started um, about intersectionality and, um, and even discrimination within the LGBTQ community. Such a good point. Like you never think of that. We we focus so much on celebrating the first that we um <laughs> we have a cat. I love a cat. I love it when animals join us on Zoom. We have a, we have a bit of a visitor. <laughs> I'm all for that life. My my dog's away at the neighbors because he's very loud. At least cats are silent. <laughs> um for the podcast, we have a beautiful white cat that's joined us on screen. Beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, you never think about the idea of not wanting to be the last. And I think you're right, it's such a heavy weight to hold and such a big burden, but it also focuses you, right? Um, which actually leads us on to the next question. Uh, what is your focus this year? What is your driving force behind the work that you do today? And where do you see that taking you this year? Oh, wow. You know, I'm thinking about this last question that you asked about the resilience of, of 2020. And uh, when I'm thinking about my work, I'm remembering, of course, last summer in the US, people, all kinds of folks finally woke up to the violence and injustices that black folks have been experiencing for more than 400 years in, in America. And of course we know that that movement spread all over the world. Um, and as that happened, we heard all kinds of commitments from people, corporations, educational institutions, communities um, about racial justice. But the focus for me this year is to keep our foot on the gas, right? The liberation of BIPOC folks, racial justice, racial equity, these can't be trending topics or issues that just flare up only when we watch an unarmed black person that's being murdered by the police, right? This work is for everyone and it has to happen every day. 
the ways in which folks stepped into their allyship since last June, it needs to be happening this March, right? And then April and May, we have to keep going in that vein. And because we're closing out Women's History Month, I'm thinking a lot about the intersectionality of race and gender in particular, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of my advocacy these days happens in the workplace. And that's because we have brilliant young leaders who are in the streets, in our organizations, in our schools, in community. Um, and our place in movements, it changes over time. Uh, and so there was a time in my life when I was leading protests and organizing marches. And now that work is being done by our, being done better by young people <laughs> rather than me. <laughs> <laughs> so I focus, I focus my work inside, right? Um, and so I just want to uplift that there's so much work that we can be doing specifically around how we how we focus on women in, in the workplace and the different um and the different realities and challenges that, that they face. Um and so I, I see this with global companies, with higher education spaces, with the government sector, nonprofits. Um, women are really up against some pretty tremendous barriers, including, of course, the pay gap and what things look like for women who are caregivers, um, what things look like for, for trans women and the different experiences that women who are Muslim face or women who have disabilities, right? Um, and of course, we know that women of color in particular um, have so many different challenges in the workplace, including microaggressions and the experiences that they have being talked over or um, not being being less likely to be promoted, less likely to be hired. So I just, I elevate and name those things because that's that's we have to be focusing on the, these intersections and keeping our foot on the gas for any commitments that we made to ourselves, to each other, to our employees um, over the over the summer, making sure that we're we're not losing sight of those. I love the fact that you speak about intersectionality. I feel like for the first time in the past twelve months, is people are really understanding what that term means in everyday, rather than it just being this obscure word and I think people are really starting to understand the gravity of what intersectionality means so it makes my heart sing that you bring it up here as well for our listeners um so our final question for today's bite-sized show is what advice would you give to the next generation of women who are trying to make things possible yeah I really appreciate this question and since it's about the next generation um I'm gonna I'm just gonna focus on young people you know I just I was talking about young people um I started my career working with with young folks on young high school and, and college students and I feel deeply that young people are our north star uh mm -hmm. and so I want to remind them that the movement for our liberation is their birthright. Um, it was inherited from our ancestors and passed down from generation to generation. Young people are a part of a legacy of youth-led movements that have changed the world over and over and over again, from anti-war to racial justice to queer liberation, so and so many more. So I just wanna remind young folks that if you ever wonder if you hold power in this movement, just remind yourself of the legacy that you're a part of and never forget who you are and whose you are. Um, and I just, what I want to say about that is that people tend to, tend to know what I mean when I say who you are, right? Like staying in your character, grounding in your power, but I want to expand a little bit on whose you are. And by, by that, I mean, remember the legacy that you come from, the, the women, the, the non-binary folks uh, who came before you, who lit your path and paved the way. And I ask young people, just remember that that legacy is not yours to feel overwhelmed, to live up to, right? But to hold in the possibility of it right? Just remember whose you are. Remember the community that you belong to and are accountable to. Remember that you're not alone, right? You belong to a, a family that, that's in this work is going to continue to fight for, for liberation. Um, and so what I would say is as you go about your work, your relationships, your life, remember who you are, whose you are, and keep that foot on the gas. 
Wow. Um, that, I mean, I would have loved to have heard the answer to that question at 15, 16 years old. Um, it still resonates even now. Such powerful words. Um, thank you so much, Amber, for joining me today. I just want to say thank you to all the listeners and viewers for tuning into this special episode of Make Possible Bite Size. Next week, we will be speaking to another inspiring guest about what they do to champion change. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.